Testing, testing. Yes, excellent. All right. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Firehouse. Uh, happy uh, Memorial Weekend to you. Um, let's see. And, and happy birthday and graduation celebrations as well. I'm sure you're all having those too um, in honor of other people. But uh, let's see here. We're going to start um, just since tomorrow is Memorial Day. thought it would be good just to take some time to uh, remember and pray for those that have uh, served our country either past or presently and uh, we have in our midst a, a veteran of sorts here so I just ask if Luke would just pray uh, for for veterans and, and soldiers and, and those that are serving the country here so Luke would you mind coming up and just praying for Lord God I just uh, thank for this country that you've uh, just uh, blessed us all to be born into Lord and just living here Lord um, I just thank you for a blessing upon it Lord, I just thank you that uh, you came and died for us and your sacrifice for us, Lord. And Lord, I also just thank you for the uh, sacrifice of those serving in the armed forces, Lord. Pray that uh, you would just uh, bless bless them, Lord, and protect them. Mm-hmm. Pray you would just uh, bless and watch over their families as they're deployed, Lord. Mm-hmm. Pray that uh, you would just uh, help them all uh, finish their missions and come home safely, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot. Let's see here. So um, we are going to continue um, looking at Nehemiah chapter nine today. We're going to try to uh, just pull a few things out of this chapter together. We're going to break bread together this morning. Just remember um, the Lord's Supper, and then we are going to get on with our Memorial Weekend as well here. So. Um, before you can turn in your house Bibles to Nehemiah chapter nine, which I don't know what page that is. If you know, follow it out. What is it? Four eighty. Nehemiah chapter nine. There, I brought brought my own house Bible. I brought the the Whomper Stomper today, so I can uh, just had some things, uh, some notes and some footnotes to use this morning from it. But anyways, uh, before we jump into Nehemiah chapter. Um, Nine here. I just wanted to wanted to quick clarify uh, the whole thing about my birthday and how old I am. Just before we get going, I don't want there to be any. Uh, I'm getting a razzing from a few people that say I'm lying to say I'm 21, and I'm not trying to lie. What I what I'm jokingly saying is I was 21, and this is my 18th anniversary of celebrating my 21st birthday. So it's not a lie. It's for real. It's it's kind of that did happen 18 years ago, and so don't do the math too fast. It's a lot of numbers to add up there. But uh, anyways, yeah. So I turned 39, and my last year before. For becoming 40, um, wow. So 40 is for old people, I've always thought, but I'm getting awfully close to that, I guess. Um, but anyways, just, just for clarification, I'm trying to be honest about my age. So, all right. You might have already, I'm sure you already figured that. Believe the best about me there. But anyways, well, uh, let's read Nehemiah chapter 9 together, and we're just going to pull out three um, examples from there that we can apply to our lives, our relationships with God here, and then we're going to break bread together um, to, to wrap up our time here. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll read this, and just ask the Lord to bless here. 
Uh, Lord Jesus, we do, again, just thank you for gathering us together today on this beautiful day. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, you would just, uh, I just agree totally with Luke's prayer for, for those serving our country. We ask you just protect them. We ask that you would be with their families, those who are on the front lines in other places, those who are on the front lines at home. That we just ask you to protect them, be with them, bless them. Um, Lord, we do thank you for uh, just the sacrifice that he shared there that, that you did for us and that people can even that they are reflecting that sacrifice and laying down their lives for others that they love and um, we thank you for that we remember those who have served this country this great country that um, you established and again we pray that as we look at your scriptures that they would speak to our hearts this morning Lord they're your words they're not mine I pray that they would be active I pray that we would treat them as such uh, as your words and, and not the words of any man um, God, I pray that your spirit would have a channel through your words and through me to each heart here that you could um, speak into our lives right where we're at. You know every detail of every person here and I pray that you would meet us here this morning, that you would think about glory for your name and for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so Nehemiah chapter 9. Um, as, as we've been going through this, last week we looked at uh, kind of a revival, an awakening that God's people went through as... Uh, the wall has been completed around Jerusalem. They've set the gates in place. They're no longer living in a city that's a shambles and a shame, but now it's returning. Some of its glory is returning. Then chapter 8, they went through the revival of kind of uh, they're in the right place, the right city, and they're just getting the right heart for God uh, according to His Word. And then today we're just going to look at um, kind of a continuance of what these people are doing in response to God's awakening in their lives as they're learning about Him through the Scriptures and, and how they are responding to what they learn about Him. So uh, I encourage you to, maybe as we read this, keep an eye out for those things. If we had a theme, maybe, um, what can I learn about God from Nehemiah chapter 9? See what these guys knew about God that you can apply to your relationship. You know, sometimes we uh, can think the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Um, but really it's the same God. And in some ways our relationship, the way we relate to them, that has changed. And we're going to remember you know, what Christ has done for us here. But at the same time, it's the same God, the same character qualities, um, you know, some of the same mercy, same compassion. And so try to keep an eye out for what you can learn about God that these people knew as we read here. So, um, and how about let's get crazy again and if you guys want to stand up and we'll read this chapter together here. Like we read last week, they rose to honor God's Word when it was being read to them and we'll just do that here at least this week. We might drop it next week, but uh, who knows. Um, Alright, so Nehemiah chapter 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. Um, they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs were the Levites, um, Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Sheb- Shebaniah, I'll say Bunny, uh, Sherebiah, Bonnie, Kanani. Uh, there's a lot of names here. Okay, we'll keep going down to the end of uh, verse 5. It says, And they said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. 
Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas, and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you. You made a covenant with him and to his descendants uh, to give to him the, to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our forefathers in Egypt. You heard their cry in the Red Sea. You sent miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials, and against all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the Red Sea before them, so that they passed through on dry ground, and you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and you gave them commands and decrees and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. In their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our fathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them, even when they had cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sihon and king of Heshbon, uh, the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their sons as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their fathers to enter and possess. Their sons went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You handed the Canaanites over to them, along with their kings and the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they please. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They put your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets who had admonished them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. 
But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they would rule over them. Um, And when they cried out to you again, you heard them from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them to return to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances by which a man will live if he obeys them. Stubbornly they turned their backs on you, became stiff necks and refused to listen. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you admonished them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention, so you handed them over to the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore our God, the great, mighty, and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come upon us, upon our kings and leaders, upon our priests and prophets, upon our fathers and all all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have been just. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our fathers did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings you gave them. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them, in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our forefathers so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as well as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. All right, thanks. Be seated. Thanks for standing there. That is a lot of stuff. Uh, We are not going to go into great detail on all that, but um, they sure went into great detail about God and who He was and um, how they were to relate to them and how they did not. And so we're going to just pull out a few things here. If you have your handouts, you know, I just kind of titled the the message in general is, Obsession with confession. And really our hope, one of the things I hope that you come away with from this morning that you could take with you for the rest of the week um, is just that we, um, that we do not have an unhealthy obsession with confession. That we understand what it means to confess, what it's supposed to accomplish in our lives, and that we do it in a way uh, that would please God. And there's some ways that we can do it that do not. But um, we're just going to look at a few verses together and um, I'm going to draw these out. You can write some of the points down as we go. The first one just comes from verse, uh, verse 1 here. So as you know, last week we talked in chapter 8, they talked about the first couple days of the month and they're reading the Bible every day and this revival's breaking out. Now they're to day 24 and they're still reading the scriptures. And, um, and in some ways, they're trying to put into action what they're reading as, as they go through it. And the 24th day, here's kind of how it affected their lives. The Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Um, and really, as they were reading God's Word, what was their response to it? Ultimately, they, they were humbled. They humbled themselves together before God. And, and that's a point for all of us. You can write that down, that we need to humble ourselves together 
before God. And let me explain what I mean by that. But um, how many of you, um, just just for the record, um, how many of you have ever fasted before? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever fasted before? Um, have you ever worn sackcloth before? Have you ever thrown dirt on your heads before? In a way, not for fun, but for humbling yourself before God. We used to do that as kids. We'd throw dirt claws and it was kind of fun, but it's a different sort of deal altogether. But these men and women wanted to humble themselves together before God. Maybe you fasted before in an attempt to humble yourself before God to show God that, um, you know, without just food is something that He's given us. We, we become pretty miserable pretty quick and He's the provider of our food. He's the provider of everything and there's a way to go without what we normally would have in a, in a way to acknowledge that everything we have is from God. Um, wearing sackcloth is something, you know, in general we wear comfortable clothes. What is sackcloth? Sackcloth, any of you have any sackcloth clothes at home? Besides Zach, Zach, you have some sackcloth attire at home at all? No. Yeah, it's kind of like burlap, burlap sack, like a potato sack, you know? How many of you have worn a potato sack before just for clothes? Now generally when we go shopping, you try to find clothes that are comfortable, right? Well, they put on things that were uncomfortable. I remember a time when I was reading the scriptures as a young believer and I said, they wore sackcloth. I didn't even know what sackcloth is, but I went to the material store and I bought some burlap, I guess is what it was, and I just bought the sheet, I poked a hole in the top of it, and uh, kind of tried to put the sides together a little bit. I made my own little burlap robe that I would wear at home when no one else was around. You know, it's kind of just, and it, it's miserable stuff. It, it and it hurts and if you're fasting at the same time that's miserable in and of itself and then you throw burlap in it um, but I would do that just to, I was trying to humble myself before God um, and then the next step they threw dirt on their heads I have not done that some of you may have you can share about that later but uh, that just seems even worse you know it's kind of like I try to keep dirt out of my hair you know I try to keep things clean my kids when they play out in the sandbox Judah came in the other day and his hair was just like you brush it and just dirt and sand is flying everywhere and I just hate that feeling. I don't know about you but it's a, it kind of just makes my skin crawl. But they did it in some ways to say you know, apart from God we are just but dust. We are but dirt apart from God. It's a way to humble themselves. But one of the things that we have to catch here is maybe you've made attempts before to humble yourself before God. To kind of put yourself in place before your Creator. I love how it says here that one line that everything, the multitude of heaven worship you. You know, the only place where there's trouble with who's worshiping God is not in heaven. Everyone, every creature in heaven is on their face worshiping God. The real question is here on earth. You know, who, who are the people that do not give Him worship? Mostly it boils down to us and all of creation who are or are not giving them the worship due Him. But um, um, the thing that, that's interesting here is if you've ever humbled yourself before God, in some ways what can happen, I've found the temptation to be, okay, if you're fasting, uh, maybe if you throw in a couple extra days of fasting, uh, maybe if you throw sackcloth on, in some ways you can be miserable before God, you can pray, God, I'm humbling myself, but yet at the same time, the very thing that's designed to humble ourselves before God can start to cause us to look down on others. I'm so humble before God. And I'm a lot more humble than the people around me because they're not fasting. They're not putting sackcloth on. They're not throwing dirt on their heads. And, you know, it's kind of an oxymoron to be humble before God but yet proud before men. And we have to do what they did. You know, when you assemble together, if you're on your own and you're, you're doing things nobody knows about, there's a way you can kind of have a little bit of haughtiness like... They don't know what I do behind the scenes. I fast all the time. And these people, you know, maybe they don't. Um, 
But when you're together and you're fasting and you've got sackcloth on and you've got dirt on your head, not looking too cool, and the person next to you has dirt on your head, there's a humility before God and before man that they had. You know, it's not a real cool thing to have dirt on your head. It's not, you don't, you can do things on your own and you might exalt yourself in your relationship to, towards others. You might think I'm humbling myself before God, but I'm really looking down on others, you know. And if you're truly, truly in humility towards God, what do you think that's going to do to your relationship with others? Are you going to look down on them or are you going to look up to them? Probably more the case if you're truly humble and you see your true sinfulness before a holy and righteous God, you're probably going to look around you and go, these people are a lot better than I am. I'm such a sinner. But sometimes we can be tempted to be like, I'm so humble and I, these people, if they would just humble themselves like I do, we would all get along just fine, you know. Um, but we need to humble ourselves together before God. And just that's something they were doing. There's something to think about them. So, you know, humble yourself before God or God will humble you for yourself. You know, He will, he will take care of that. You know, we can, we can make a choice to do that or else we can leave it in His hands. He's real good at that as well. Um, so that's something to think about. But, you know, they didn't just sit around and go, hey, what can we do that's hard, that's religious? Um, boy, let's sit sackcloth, that's really hard. Food, yeah, that'd be tough. Dirt, that's terrible. Let's just do that. That'd be really... Boy, you know, that's what we should do. But they didn't do that just randomly, arbitrarily. They did that in response to who they were discovering God really was, how holy He was, how awesome God was. This was in response. They were reading the Scriptures. They were finding out more about God and how they should relate to Him. And this is how they responded. It wasn't like they said, oh, let's just think something. Any good ideas? Let's brainstorm how to humble ourselves. It was in response to God who they were getting to know. This verse, um, this verse 3 here just talks about them. Um, they stood there and read from the book of the law their God for a quarter of the day. So let's say half the day is 12 hours and half 12 hours is night. A quarter of 12 hours is how long? Three hours. Three hours. So imagine the last couple of days they, they read from 6 a.m. till noon. This they're doing for three hours. They're reading the Bible, they're reading the Scriptures. Again, they were just continuing to immerse themselves in the Scriptures. And at the same time, though, they were learning about who God really was. And, you know, the only point I want to make on this one is just that we need to continue to get to know God through the Scriptures. That's an example they had here. You know, um, we aren't going to go into great detail about this prayer here, but what I noticed in, in this prayer was that they're going through the history of Israel through their prayer. It starts off basically in Genesis with God the creator of everything. And then it moves along to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15. And then it moves into uh, Moses and uh, Egypt there in Exodus, you know, in verse 9 of the prayer. It just keeps moving on. And what they're doing is they're praying, but they're praying about the God who has revealed himself through scriptures. Um, and they just continue to go through. And if you have a, a Bible that has footnotes in it, what, what I noticed was just that as they pray, they're just walking through. Okay, there's Exodus. Okay, now Numbers is starting to show up. Um, you know, God reveals Himself in uh, Exodus 34. You know, they have a quote from that passage when God says, here's who I really am. And then they continue to move on through the... Uh, they didn't go into the Promised Land. They wandered in the desert. It just takes them on this journey. Eventually in Joshua, they re-enter the Promised Land. But they're just recounting the Scriptures that they've been reading. They said, this is what God is like. God, you really are compassionate. God, you are forgiving. One of the things that I just uh, kind of, again, maybe this is uh, should do a series, What Drives Me Bomb.
bonkers. Um, but one of the things that again gets me is when people say the God of the Old Testament is just completely different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the God of hate. The God of the New Testament is Jesus. You know, the nice guy, the loving guy, heals everybody. God of the Old Testament, hate and war. Well, someone who says that is someone who obviously doesn't know the Bible. You read the scriptures, and what I find time and time again is that, well, like this passage here, verse uh, uh, verse 17 about God, it says, But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. Does that sound like the God of hate, the God of the Old Testament, the mean God? That's actually a quote from another place in the Old Testament, how God says, you know what, here's what I'm really like. And he basically tells them he's gracious, he's compassionate, all these things here. But... Um, and I think we need to make sure we don't fall in that same trap. The God that you read about right here, you know, it's like New Testament. Okay, in the New Testament, is God now, He's no longer uh, gracious? Or is God no longer compassionate? Or is God it's the same God? He still abounds in love. He's still patient with us. Sometimes these were God's people. He had a covenant to love them. You know what? We are God's people. We are God's children when you have faith in Christ. And yet we can find ourselves doing the same things. You know, I think of some of these phrases here. Time after time, He delivered them. Time after time, they did dumb things and He delivered them. Time after time, they made these mistakes and eventually they humbled themselves. They cried out to God and said, God, I just messed up. Help us. He would send someone in to help them. But as, as His children, we do the same things, don't we? Um, and there's some real similarities there. God is compassionate with you and I. God, when we cry out to Him for grace, He's gracious to us. Um, and through Christ, He's forgiven us everything. But um, anyways, as we read the Scriptures, even the Old Testament, it's easy to say, well, that's the law, that's all these things. Well, you know, it's the same God. There's a different way of relating to Him. But it's not like, you know, the Ten Commandments are like, okay, the Ten Commandments, Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, God really thinks it's cool if you lie. Uh, he loves lying now. Old Testament, He didn't like lying. New Testament, He liked lying. Old Testament, He didn't like swearing. Now you're a Christian, swearing's cool. No, it's the same. It's still a perfect law. But by the grace of God, we don't have to fulfill it anymore because Jesus did. The law has not changed. It's righteous. It's holy. It's perfect. The problem was found with us, not with His law. And we've got to keep that in mind, uh, properly understand the Old Testament and the New. There's things that are so true still from this passage. And there's some things that He does relate to us differently. He, um, you know, we'll talk about some of that. But anyways, continue to get to know God through the Scriptures. The last part on this confession thing we want to hit on here is just... Um, This phrase here, it says in verse 3, that they spent another quarter of the day, another three hours they spent in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Three hours they're reading the Word that day. Three hours they went into confession and worshiping God. And I just want to talk about obsession again. Um, The idea of having a... I think ultimately we all need to have a healthy, a godly obsession with confession. A godly obsession with confession and they give us an example of that here sometimes here's a few ways we can think about confession some of them are wrong one we can have a, an aversion to confession and we go like I don't confess sin I just don't you know other people confess sin I don't other people say they're wrong they seek forgiveness that's their deal I don't do that you know um, maybe we just avoid confession I don't like to think about sin I pretend I make up my own rules I don't actually sin Whatever it is, but there's an aversion to confession. That's obviously wrong and unbiblical. There's also a misunderstanding about confession. Um, Sometimes people think that confession uh, should be to a priest. You confess your sins to a priest and a priest somehow absolves you of your sin. 
There's religions that are set up about people who are confessing to priests uh, for forgiveness. And, you know, we know through the Scriptures that doesn't work either. The only New Testament verse on that, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. You know, in James chapter 5, it talks about that. But it doesn't talk about confessing to a priest. It doesn't, um, you know, but that would be a misunderstanding of confession as well. Another way of confession that... Some of us might be more prone to is confession is kind of just a way to grovel about our sin. I've sinned again. I'm going to confess it. It's like wallowing in the mud. We've got mud. We're going to wallow in it for a while and we think somehow God is much happier after we've wallowed for a while. Told him how terrible it is, how it stinks. And we confess that way. It's just kind of stuck in the mud, uh, wallowing versus repenting. And then the last way to do confession, which I think is the one we want to maybe have an obsession with, is um, like these guys did. They didn't grovel in their sin. They acknowledged it. They didn't wallow in it. Um, But really they were confessing their sin, their shortcomings. And they were confessing God's God's glory, God's perfection, God's character. You know, sin, any area we sin in is just an area where we're falling short of God's character, of what He is like or what He wants from our lives. And, and I think they were very healthy. If you look at their confession here, it didn't have much to do with them. They sure acknowledge, you know, hey, we did sin, we were wrong, you were right. But I think a healthy confession with God is acknowledging, okay, let's be honest about our sin. Have we fallen short of God's standards, God's will for our lives? Well, that's sin and call it what it is. But don't stay stuck there. Then we look to God and go, you know, one of the cool things I was encouraged by in this is that every sin that we have somehow has in it, we're, we are in that sin we are at conflict with God. God is something different. When we sin, we're doing something different than what God is. So another way to look at it is you think about God and you go, God doesn't do that. God is slow to anger. Maybe we're fast to anger. Maybe we don't forgive. God is completely forgiving. Maybe um, we don't have self-control. God has control of the universe in a non-selfish sort of way. Um, Whatever sin you struggle with and seek forgiveness for the most, the encouraging thing is God, uh, He's not like that. And not only is He not like that, He wants you to be not like that. He wants you to not be stuck in the mud and the sin. And so if, you, if confession for you is like, I sin again, I grovel in this, or confession is, I don't sin, it's not that big a deal, I'm a New Testament Christian, that's not healthy either. Groveling is not healthy either, but there's an acknowledging of your sin, and then almost a worshiping of the God who is not like that. And the God who forgives you for that sin. And the God who is willing to even use you beyond what you deserve after sinning. And the God who has compassion uh, for the results of sin in our lives. And there's, I think there's a really healthy way to go about it, and we see that with here. Their, their prayer is all about God. This thing is God, and then in, occasionally they mention where they're at odds with God, where they've sinned. I love this. Verse 33 kind of sums it up. In all that has happened to us in the history of your people, you've done what was right. You kept your promises, you were righteous, and we were wrong. And then they continued to move on to there. And now we're slaves. Because of our sin, we're slaves. And you know, one thing just to keep in mind here is that, um, well, anyways, uh, we want to have a, a healthy obsession with confession. One that is confessing God's glory and um, one that is confessing our shortcomings and sin and turning from Him. But then also crying out to God to help us in that area. So um, I think that's just a healthy way of confession. I love it at the very end here. Well, I don't love it, but uh, I noticed it. Verse 36. 
They're saying, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our forefathers. These were God's people. They'd returned to God's city. The temple was in place. They were worshiping God. The walls were up. And they were slaves. You know, and uh, sometimes I think the same thing can happen to us as Christians. We could be headed to heaven. All your sins are forgiven. And we are slaves still to sin. And that's not what God wants for us. God wants to forgive us, but He also has uh, made an arrangement with us that would help us overcome these sins, not stay stuck in them, not be like, you know, you're going to be stuck in the mud the rest of your life, but at least you're going to heaven. No, He said, you're going, you're going to heaven, for you're forgiven, but I want to help you overcome these. I want you to be like me in this earth. I want you to reflect me here. And... Um, so these guys were his children, but they were slaves because of their sin, and we just want to beware of making that same error here. But what we're going to do, they closed their prayer here, and they made this agreement. They took this pact. They, we'll look at that, what they did next week there. Um, but you know, one of the things we can do when it comes to confessing our sins, our shortcomings compared to God, you know, um, is that we can do what Jesus told us to do. We can remember that he died on the cross for our sins. And we can um, just agree with him. We have sinned. Have you sinned recently? Have you sinned since the last time you broke bread? Probably. Um, and we can confess that to God. And, and we can be renewed in the fact that he died. Agree with him. Yeah, that Jesus did pay for that sin. We're just going to take some time here this morning to close... Not by making a, a binding agreement. We can make some sort of blood pact here. Everyone pokes their hands and say we're really sorry for our sin. But you know, um, Jesus took that blood pact for us and he, he shed all His blood so that we would not have to. And not just to forgive us so when we get done we're forgiven, but He gave us His Spirit so that we could live a new life, a life that is a slave to righteousness and not to sin. And so, we're gonna, if you guys would turn with me here, we're going to close with... Um, Breaking bread, and we're going to look at a passage in First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven. Are we doing okay? First Corinthians chapter eleven here. And verse twenty-three. The Apostle Paul is speaking here. And we're going to just apply this today. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup... You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. Um, Let's see, we'll just end it right there. But we're just going to take some time to remember that Jesus... One of the arrangements we have that's better than the Old Testament is instead of every time we sin, we have to go do a sacrifice and um, go be made at one with God again using the priest and the whole system that was set up. We, um, we can just look to Christ and what He's done for us on the cross, what He's already done. He's already paid for it. Um, and, and that's... Uh, I can't imagine having to have a religious system for every time you sin. That would just be 
I would be such a burden. And I know many people referred to it in prayer today and in the worship time that, that the law, the system was just designed to show people how short they fall of God's character. And, but also to have a, a lot of those things Christ fulfilled for us specifically that we would never have to do them again if we look to Him for forgiveness. And so, um, but as we um, take time here to break bread, before we do that, I just encourage you to take time in your own life to think about any areas you've fallen short of God's glory, of God's will for your life. Call them sin. Tell God you want to turn from that sin. You might even look to worship and praise Him in that area of His life that is not like that, the area of God that that sin was in conflict with. Praise Him for that. Praise Jesus for dying on the cross for our sins. And have it be not just confessing, not just groveling and wallowing, but maybe confessing, confession and worshiping at the same time. You're just between you and God, you know. And, um, and hopefully it says, you know, do this in a, a manner that's worthy. Um, you know, if you're thinking of our forgiveness between us and God, and we could get real focused on that, but if somehow you have... You know, you, you want God's forgiveness, you're humbling yourself before God, but someone sitting next to you, someone nearby, you go, i got issues with them. I'm so good with you, God. i just humble before you. Thanks for the forgiveness. But if you're not passing that on to others in your life, anyone else who's hurt you, offended you, sinned against you, that is so much less compared to what you've done to God. Uh, You've you got to have to do one or the other. You either let that go or you let go remembering your forgiveness um, that you have through Christ because that would be kind of inconsistent right now here this morning. You know, he says here's some things that happen to New Testament Christians when they don't have integrity with breaking bread. We remember the forgiveness we have through Christ this morning. Make sure you're passing that on to others. Make sure you're not wallowing in sin, but um, maybe wallowing in God's glory, if, if you want to call that wallowing, worshiping in God's glory. Um, and so we're just going to have some, some background songs here. But while he's playing some music, here, just get right with God. Confess some sin, praise and, and worship God for His perfect glory, His character, and thank Christ for, for paying for it. One of the things we're going to do that is, uh, as we break bread is we have one, one big giant piece of matzah. We've got one cup. You know, Jesus said, hey, look, here's, here's bread, one loaf of bread, let's break it, and we all share in that. And here's one cup that he gave his disciples, and they all shared in that. And sometimes I think it's easy to break that into a bazillion crackers and a bazillion little cups of wine. But Jesus said, here's, here's one cup that you all partake in. Everyone who looks to Christ is covered by his blood from him and his body was broken to take on the punishment of each one of us here and this morning we're just remembering um, his one body was punished so that we wouldn't have to be his blood one one cup for all of us to share in and uh, just take some time to do that here and I'll be done to pray after we do that so um, anyways maybe I'll just pray real quick and then we'll we'll get started on that Oh dear God, we just thank you for some time here to continue to be reminded of who you are. Thank you that you've given us your word, to, that you've revealed to us who you say you are. Lord, other people can make up things about you. We can even have our own notions that don't agree with your word. But we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. Um, we thank you that you are a God who is forgiving. That you are a God who's compassionate. Even when we've messed things up, you have a great compassion for us. Your God is gracious, who um, can help us overcome sin, who can use us in spite of our sin. We thank you for that. We thank you that you're patient. God, you could have put an end to any one of us at any time, and you've been patient with us. 
Lord God, we thank you that you abound, you overflow with love towards your, yours, your children, your creation. And, and we just ask you to help us to connect with things that are true about you this morning. Help us to turn from and renounce those things that we've fallen short in, our sin, our rebellion, our being stiff-necked against you. Um, and I just pray you make this a time of godly confession between us and you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
to bow our heads and close in a prayer here. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for allowing us to assemble together, to gather here, um, to remember what you've done for us on the cross. We do um, just want to grow in these areas that we, we looked at from Nehemiah chapter 9. Please help us to, to be a church that, um, that humbles ourselves together before you, God. Um, that we do not look down on any, anyone next to us, but if anything, look down on our, our shortcomings um, before you and even consider others around us even better than, than ourselves. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to continue to get to know who you really are as you've revealed to us by your word. Help us through your, under, your, your Holy Spirit to understand how forgiving you are, how gracious you are, how compassionate you are, how patient you are, how uh, overflowing in love you are with us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a healthy, um, healthy understanding of confession. Help us to be, be honest, acknowledge our sin and shortcomings, but God, help us to turn, that, turn the corner and repent and turn that into worshiping the God who is perfect, the God who has no shortcomings, the God who um, forgives us, the God who's paid for all of our sins, and the God who can help us grow and overcome these areas. Lord, I pray that none of us would be stuck in the mud in these areas, but that we would know you want to help us to become more like you. You want us not only to be forgiven, but to overcome and live righteously in this world. We ask for your help in that. Um, We thank you again what you've done for us on the cross. I pray you'd help us to live by the power of your Spirit uh, to reflect you in this, this fallen world. pray that you bless the rest of our weekend, uh, this Memorial Weekend. Help us just to honor you in all that we do. Help, help us to just love you supremely and love our neighbor as ourselves. And we just pray all these things together in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right. Well, thank you guys for coming this morning. And we'll see you Wednesday night at the park, Hirshhorn Park, 7 o'clock. Unless your team uh, has another meeting scheduled or if you're going to do work. That, otherwise, we'll, we'll be gathering at Hirshhorn park, park, 7 o'clock for outreach of some kind. Have some good walking shoes on. Have a heart that's ready to pray with people or get into the gospel or, or whatever ends up happening Wednesday night there. So thanks again for coming.